just about that action, boss. What I'm asking you is a simple question. We, we talk about the GOAT here, the greatest of all time, Michael Jordan, and you running your mouth talking about you're going to beat him one-on-one. Why would you say something so blasphemous? blasphemous? He would need help. We're getting ready for Cincinnati. Back to the start of the fourth quarter. Coach Popovich, your thoughts on the third quarter. We're behind. You're listening to Sunday Sports Central, brought to you by 88 won the Berg, KCWU. The Berg, your music central, not only your music central, but also your sports central. That is right. You are listening to Sunday Sports Central. Today is May 6, 2018, and I am Austin Lane. Joining me today is my good friend, Will Ortner, and we will be talking about everything sports you want to know from the last week, especially this last weekend. More importantly, we're going to be talking about the NBA playoffs today. The Western Conference is heating up. May I say that? And then a little bit later in the show... Uh, We're going to be talking about Angels Phenom, Shohei Otani. Mariners taking them on this weekend. And then um, coming up right after this, though, we're going to be talking about the eastern side of things in the NBA. Uh, Excuse me, the western side will hit first uh, with Utah, Houston, New Orleans, Golden State. Great series there. But my man, Will Ortner, how are you doing today, buddy? Uh, you know, it was a uh, it was a rough weekend for me and uh, people back in my high school. But uh, I'm doing all right. We're getting better and we're working through it. What What are you talking about here? Uh, I'll get into it later on in okay. the show. Okay. Later in the show. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get right into NBA Western Conference headlines. What do we see coming out of this first series we're going to be talking is Utah versus Houston. Will, can you give me a little bit of rundown of what we've seen so far in this series? Yeah. So we've seen so far Houston's offense prevail in uh, game one and game three, while uh, Utah's younger, uh, more... I don't want to say like team play, but they they're a little more well rounded than say Houston. Uh, Houston's an offensive juggernaut. Uh, D'Antonio is one of the best offensive minded coaches. That's why you're seeing James Harden explode. Uh, Chris Paul's finding some life at the tail end of his career. Um, but the Jazz are excited. They're hoping to get back their point guard Ricky Rubio for Game Four. That would be huge today for them. They can finally move Donovan Mitchell back to his normal position at the two guard. And then that's really their facilitator. That's a guy who goes out and he makes all the extra passes. He's a very similar style of play to Rajon Rondo. And uh, it'll be good for them to get him back. It might tip the scales in the series. Who knows? At this point, the way it's been going, I kind of see it going seven right now. But we'll see how it goes. Awesome. Let's talk about the man on the team right now, Ricky Rubio, coming back to the Utah team. And I'm going to welcome in now. Two of our NBA analysts, NBA experts here at the Berg, Jordan Riley Payne, JRP, and Miles King. JRP, what do you think about Rubio coming back to the Jazz? How much can this help them in the series? This can help them a lot. Rubio is the floor general, and he is what makes the offense happen. He sets everyone up for the right position, and he leaves some stress off of Donovan Mitchell so he can play off the ball and create more points. Awesome. Miles King, welcome in this morning. Tell me a little bit about what you're thinking about this series. I think uh, Rubio is one of those underrated guys. He's going to bring that defensive edge. He's a little bit of a risk taker on defense. He's going to go for those steals. Hopefully he doesn't burn him in the end. Uh, I think he's going to add a little bit on offense as far as passing. He really needs to improve his shot, though, as he has been in the last couple of years. All right, let's go around the room. I want to hear you guys' opinion. With Rubio coming back for the Utah Jazz, are the Rockets still just too good on offense, or will Rubio make the difference and move the Jazz possibly into the conference finals, JRP? 
To be honest, I think the Rockets, without Rubio, no disrespect, I think they'll still overtake them. But Rubio will help the Jazz get a little bit better than what they were previously. Any specific reason? Yeah, I just think Rubio is just a great floor general, and he can just create you know opportunities for other players on the team. And I'll just, you know, once, like I said, again, it will leave more stress for Donovan Mitchell so he can turn up on more points. Austin, no disrespect to Rubio and the Jazz, but this Rockets team is just too good, too good on offense. And when they need to play defense, they can. I think they advance ultimately to the finals or the conference finals. And, uh, and I think it's going to be in probably six, maybe seven games. I'm going to agree with you. I mean, I checked the score at halftime, and I mean, I don't remember exactly what it was, but the Jazz were getting blown out. You look at the final score, it's not too bad, 21 points. You know, that's not really a blowout in today's NBA. But, man, at halftime, the Rockets were up by, what, like 40 points. So I just don't see the Jazz having enough star power and talent to take down this Rockets team. Will, what are you thinking about this series? Uh, so for me, you know, I've always been along the lines of defenses win championships. And clearly I think that Utah has the better defense when it comes to them versus Houston. I mean, James Harden is just straight up a liability on the uh, defensive end. And now when you add Ricky Rubio back, he's your quarterback. He's going to allow you to get better shots for guys like Donovan Mitchell, who's been struggling shooting-wise in this series. I think he starts shooting better now that he has someone to relieve the pressure. He's not forced to facilitate and find his own shots. Uh, so I think the addition of Ricky Rubio, if he can play like he did in the uh, Timber or not the Timberwolves series, um, if he can play like he did in the last series, I think that's going to bring uh, a more well-rounded Utah Jazz team. I think this goes seven games, but I'm going to lean on the Jazz, the younger, more well-rounded team. So you think the Jazz are winning this series in seven? Yes. I mean, same reasons I love my Celtics. <laughs> uh, they just they they have a good young coach who preaches the full, you know, offense, defense. There's no, hey, we're going to go out and take a bunch of shots and just hope eventually they fall. We're going to look for quality looks. You have Rudy Gobert on the defensive end. He's probably going to be your defensive player of the year. I love that. I love the tough nose, Utah Jazz. They're a little young. Maybe this isn't quite their year, but if I'm going to have – if I'm a betting man, if I'm going to Vegas tomorrow – and I'm going to place a bet on the series, this is where I'm going. I'm going to trust that Utah can find a way to get it done. Look, I love the Utah Jazz. I love what they're doing. I love Donovan Mitchell. Uh, I like the fact that Ricky Rubio is coming back. That will help them a lot. But you are forgetting about the man, James Harden, on the Houston Rockets. He is overbearing the Utah Jazz right now. 30 minutes, 4 assists, 12 rebounds, 25 uh, – excuse me, 4 rebounds, 12 assists, 25 points in Game 3. You know, he's the reason the Rockets get off to these big starts in these games. He is the sort of like a pacemaker in track. He just gets out in front of everyone and just starts, you know, sprinting ahead with the game. And then, boom, he carries his teammates along with him later in the game. Guys like Eric Gordon finish with the same amount of points as him just because he's setting that bar for his team and everyone's trying to get there. And so it just he just makes the team better as a whole. And I think James Harden by himself, not necessarily by himself, but he makes his whole team so hard to beat, and I, I don't think the Jazz can can take them down. JRP, what do you think about that? Yeah, <clears throat> to be honest, I don't think the Jazz can be able to take it down. Because to be honest, you got James Harden, the MVP of this league. He's averaging 30 points. You have another dominant force in Clint Compella, who's averaging 10 rebounds, you know. That right there, those two duos, they work very well together, you know, and they know how to find each other and how to feed off their energy. So I think that's what separates them from Jazz to be the better team. 
And let's not forget about the other guys on the Rockets. I never thought I'd be saying this in CP3's career, but he's a role player right now. He's playing off of James Harden. But then also don't forget about guys like Trevor Ariza, Luke Mbaamute, and Eric Gordon. And then the resurgence of Green. Gerald Green. Gerald Green. That guy, those guys spread the floor. They throw Clint Capella in the middle. They run pick and roll. They run the high pick and roll. Have you seen how effective the high pick and roll with Chris Paul and James Harden is? That causes defenders to switch. And then they just hit open threes. They spread the ball around, and they hit Clint Capella for dunks. Yep. That's exactly what I'm talking about with all the star power on the Rockets team. I think they are just too much for the Utah Jazz. I think they will go to the conference finals, and more than likely the NBA finals. We'll see what happens. Uh, Warriors, Pelicans. But that's a perfect segue. Let's talk about Pelicans, Warriors. Pelicans taking their first game of the series last night, uh, 119-100 to over the Warriors. Tell me, you guys, why did the Warriors... I mean, we were going into this series. They took the first two games, and we were like, oh, this is going to be a sweep, you know? What happened to the Warriors last night, Will? Well, personally, I think they were tired, and they just took the game off. I don't think it matters to them. I think they know what they're playing for, and I think they're looking over at Houston, and they know they're going to probably have a long series. They're gonna. That, I think that series goes at least six, seven games. So they're like, eh, who cares if we lose to the Pelicans? They're young. Let's give them a game. The Brow can have one. Who cares? We're going to go and win the next two, and we'll be done in five, and we'll be resting on our lawn chairs, sipping some drinks, waiting for the next round. Well, here's what I think about this series. The Warriors are obviously a great team. And first of all, let me get this out of the way. I think they're going to win the series, probably in five or six. Um, But last night the Pelicans did a really good job of – Picking their roles and sticking to them. That's how. That's kind of how I felt for this game. You know, Anthony Davis, we need you to get low and score. Okay, he puts up 33 points. Rajon Rondo, we need you to feed the ball to everyone. Okay, he puts up 21 assists. I mean, that's a crazy number. Mm-hmm. Uh, Drew Holiday, we need you to shoot some threes. We need you to score from outside. Okay, 21 points. I see the Pelicans kind of figuring out in this game, hey, we know what we, what we each need to do, and if we do it all the right way uh, individually, we will come together as a team and win this game. Uh, Will, I don't agree with you of the Warriors kind of just taking this game off. I couldn't see them doing that because I would think if I was the Warriors, I would want to go for a sweep so that I would have more days off to get ready for the Houston Rockets instead of maybe take a uh, take a game off mentally uh, during a specific game and try to come back later in the series to win that. I, I don't agree with that. I think they'd rather go for the sweep and they just fell short a little bit here in game three because of the teamwork of the Pelicans. But uh, let's hear what you guys have to say. JRP, what are you saying for this Pelicans-Warriors series? I think it's a good series, to be honest. Pelicans have great defense, you know, and they know how to match up well with the Warriors, you know, their size and everything. It all fits well. And the Pelicans are a dark horse in this conference right now. As you can see, Drew Holiday is playing out of this world. He's a one player that you need to watch out on the floor because he can drop. 50 on you without no problem. You know, you have a lot of good players on the Pelicans who don't get enough, you know, shine and whatnot. But I think the Warriors was, are going to overcome and win the series. But I think, you know, the Pelicans probably can squeeze one more win out of this. Miles, what do you think in this game goes? I think uh, goes? game three was kind of a perfect storm for the Pelicans. They had everybody contribute. You had the Pelicans play like the team that swept Portland in the first round. I don't think it was a really necessarily a lack of effort from Golden State. I saw guys like Klay Thompson and Steph Curry miss a lot of shots. I think Anthony Davis beasted, as he did for those four games against Portland. And you had defender perimeters and Drew Holiday and Rajon Rondo lock down those guys on the edge. 
Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, I think the Pelicans just played really good defense in this game. Um, they figured out exactly what to do in the right moment. Um, Will, I want to go back to you real quick. You're, you think the Warriors were like just mentally checking out of this game. I, I don't see where you come from with that. I mean, I would see them going for a sweep and wanting to take more days off against the Rockets. Tell me a little bit more about that take. Well, here's how I'm going to take it. You're a big stats guy, Austin. You're our stats man. I am. Right? So when I'm looking at stats, Clay Thompson, 4 for 20 performance. That's not how he shoots. He's a great player. He's a great shooter. I think he was in the stands, you know, like, you know what? Man, I wish I had some popcorn. Brick. <laughs> Darn it. All right. Come back down. Let's check up another three. Miss. Let me ask you this, Will. Do you not attribute any of that to the Pelicans' defense? Uh, No. This is oh, arguably on. one of the greatest teams to ever come into this planet. They're built so well. Andre Iguodala comes off the bench and Sean Livingston. This is one of the best teams we're ever going to see grace our television sets. Wow. Sometimes they can go out and just say, I don't feel like it today. Oh, come on. One of ah. the, the greatest teams of in the history of the NBA do not go out there and say that. <laughs> they lost by two less points than the Rockets beat the Jazz, and we were taking the Rockets-Jazz as a complete blowout. Yeah, we were. That's so, true. I mean, what? there's no difference between that game and this one. Really, it's only two points in the final box score, but you think the Warriors were just like, yeah, we're just going to chalk this one up as a loss. Oh, for sure. You know what? Sometimes you need a day off. You need a, some R&R. But you still got to play a game. They're just like, ah, it's okay. Well, there's yeah, no we days can off tell the you're playoffs. the football player. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ah, it's okay. We'll, t- we'll, we'll, take, we'll take a little bit of a break. We'll be fine. Steph Curry's coming back from injury, and he's like, you know what? 19 points is enough tonight. I'll go drop 40 tomorrow. JRP, I want one last final thought on this Warriors-Pelican series before we head to a commercial break. Yes, sir. So, all right. So, my final prediction is. Warriors are going to win 4-2 in the series. I, I can see the Warriors winning tonight and then maybe next game. Okay. The Pelicans could probably get one last win in before they. Awesome. Let me just add this. I think game four is going to be huge for the Pelicans. If they can Ooh. go back to Oakland, tied 2-2, I'm not, I'm not going to go out and say that, that the Pelicans are going to win this series, but if they can go back to Oakland 2-2, you never know. Game five is going to be pivotal. All right, that'll be it for NBA Western Conference. Coming up after this break, we will talking. We'll be talking about the NBA Eastern Conference a little bit later into the show. We'll be talking about Shohei Otani, the star for the Angels, and that Mariners game last night. Man, if you missed that, we will be going over everything from that game. Amazing game. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. You're listening to Sunday Sports Central on eighty-eight point one, The Berg. We'll be right back with more Sunday Sports Central. And we're back with more Sunday Sports Central. Sunday Sports Central here at 88.1, the Berg. Happy Sunday to everyone listening. If you missed the first 20 minutes, that will be up as a podcast on our SoundCloud at 88.1, the Berg. We were talking about the NBA Western Conference and what that entails, but right now we are going to be getting into NBA Eastern Conference. Let me reintroduce the room real quick. I'm Austin Lane. I'm joined by Will Ortner, Jordan Riley Payne, and Miles King this morning. Thank you guys for coming on. But right now, NBA Eastern Conference Last night's games, I want to talk about something big, Cavaliers and Toronto Raptors, and I'm going to completely skip 
the debate that we're about to have on who's going to win the series. Or we were going to come in and say who's going to win this series. I'm saying right now the Cavs are winning the series. There's no way Toronto comes back down 3-0. I would much rather talk right now about who you guys would have at the final buzzer of the game because LeBron James put up another buzzer beater to take down the Raptors. And so let's go around the room. I want to know your guys' opinion. Would you rather have LeBron James at the buzzer or Michael Jordan, JRP? Man, that is a great discussion of topic. I'm excited. But uh, to be honest, I would probably have to put in LeBron James as of right now to take the final game shot because this man's hot. This man is what, 34, 35 years old. He's still hitting buzzer beaters off one foot. This is crazy. MJ wasn't really doing this at his age, so I really think, in my opinion, I would take LeBron James to take the final shot. Miles King, tell me, who would you take in the final shot of the game? In the playoffs. Don't want to discredit LeBron's shot last night. I watched that game. That shot was just incredible. I I did not think it was going in. But I still got to go with MJ. The guy just has the killer instinct. He puts teams away with his shot. He can shimmy. He can shake. He posts. Fade away. He's hitting everything. Well, I just found a stat. LeBron has now two more career buzzer beaters in his career than Michael Jordan. He has five where Michael Jordan has three. Will, tell me your opinion on this. Well, first off, I'm going to go. My opinion is I'm going with the GOAT, LeBron. It's no question out here. First off, you just quoted a stat that he's got two more than Michael. So that already shows that he's clutch. You go and you look up, uh, you sh- if you're at home, you need to look up Colin Cowherd's piece between him and Kobe. He has better game seven stats than Kobe. And let's not forget, right now he's playing with a team of players that were playing at the Cirque Rec League two weeks ago. He has maybe the worst team. <laughs> to ever grace the playoffs format since I don't know when. And he's put the whole team on his back, said, I'm going to just go win this whole series with you guys. Toronto, you guys don't aren't good enough. Drake's out there doing his Spike Lee impersonation. Like, oh, yeah, you can't do anything. You're LeBron. You suck. And he's like, nah, I'm going to take Cleveland to the finals again. He's bringing it home for this city, I believe. There's believe no way. Wind. It's <laughs> hey, hey, That's a good one. Believe Lynn. That's the one. It's LeBron. He's the GOAT. I'm on Nick Wright. He's past Michael, and he'd have to go back like a year and a half to get back to where Michael was. Look, I'm a big stats guy. Uh, LeBron has two more career. Uh, this was in the postseason, by the way, not career total, mm-hmm. but postseason career total. He has two more buzzer beaters than Michael Jordan. He's also landed two more percent. The attempted game-winning shots uh, than Michael Jordan, which isn't even that big of a difference. So I love LeBron, and I think he's the GOAT. But right now, I would have to say Michael Jordan. You're comparing, Will, you're comparing this team that LeBron's on to CW <laughs> intramural <laughs> league teams. But I want to bring it's up comparable. something. <laughs> I want to bring up something along the lines of that. What about the teams that Michael Jordan played against back mm. then in the postseason? I could say that those teams were not as good either, and I would much rather have Michael Jordan taking a shot against a horrible team than LeBron being on a horrible team and taking a shot against a good team. JRP, you agree with or uh, no, Miles King agrees with me, Michael Jordan, but I want to hear another LeBron take. JRP, what do you got? Why LeBron? Dude, LeBron just keeps building up on his resume. You know, he keeps adding great things to his legacy. He keeps accomplishing new things there's always see what i always see on nba there's always like a new record someone has broken lebron has broken a lot of records he's up there with all the greats you know for basically in every category 
And just the way LeBron takes care of himself at that age, I think it's just crazy. Even though, you know, the med- you know the medical stuff was different compared to Michael Jordan's era, you know. But I just feel like LeBron is getting way better treatment. That's why he's always producing at a high level every, every year. Uh, another thing I want to bring up in this discussion was game two, I believe it was, between Toronto and Cleveland in this series. It was tied up at the end of the game. Uh, with like what 0.6 seconds on the clock or something like that and they got the ball to LeBron to take the game winning shot down on their side of the court and he missed that shot and they and they uh, had to go to overtime for that and so I mean LeBron is clutch he makes these buzzer beaters but sometimes it's like in a chance where he could take the game he just doesn't do it and I feel like back then Michael Jordan had a better chance now Historically proven, LeBron is a little bit better at it, but I would still go with you know Michael Jordan in the clutch moment. Something about Michael Jordan just makes me want to say, yeah, you have a better chance of uh, making a buzzer beater in the postseason than LeBron. Miles, what do you think? Well, Austin, I think we got to be fair. 0. 0.6 seconds is not very long for anybody. I mean, he had a chance. He caught <laughs> yes, the ball, definitely, had definitely. a chance to shoot, and if you're the GOAT, you should be making those, honestly. Who definitely. won the game? Cleveland, Who won that game? <laughs> Cleveland won the game. <laughs> not not to be a jerk, and I'm going to go back to you, Miles, but you play to win the game. <laughs> he couldn't and, win it in the fourth quarter. But he did an OT. That's all you need. But we're, we're on the topic of game-winning buzzer-beater shots. He had the chance to make a game-winning buzzer-beater shot. Sure, they're up 3-0, to zero, but game two could have been over way sooner than that. They couldn't have even gave Toronto a chance to win the game if he would have just made that in the fourth quarter. He needed more rebounding stats. <laughs> he didn't have a triple double yet. He was like, "Yeah, okay." He was just trying to pad his stats. Well. <laughs> Look, I agree with Miles. Point six seconds isn't a lot of time, but I mean, historically, I would have just gone with Michael Jordan in that spot. Point six seconds on the clock. You need a guy to come in, get the inbound pass, put up a quick shot. I would have taken Michael Jordan there. Um, but moving on, let's talk about the series as a whole. Why are the Cavaliers up three to zero? Um, Toronto came in as the number one seed. Uh, Cleveland comes in as a team that I think most people would say uh, have no chance of winning this series. At the beginning of the series, people were saying this. Um, and at the beginning of the series, I was saying that if LeBron took this Cavaliers team to the finals, there would be no question anymore, no debate. He would be the GOAT. He would be better than Michael Jordan. And it looks like he is putting on that performance. So why has Cleveland taken this series sort of by the reins, Miles? Well, LeBron James, for one thing, has Toronto's number. But LeBron James, while he is carrying this team right now, took over in the fourth quarter, nailed that just a beautiful game-winning shot. I, that had no chance of going. I didn't think it did. But he's also getting help from the supporting guys like Kevin Love. Kevin Love, he stretches the floor well. And then also late in the game last night, I was watching this game, they were hitting this this pick and roll with Kyle Korver and LeBron James forcing defenders to switch and you have CJ Miles guarding LeBron James. That guy's going right downhill and he's getting a lay in every time. Barbecue chicken. Dwayne Casey, great coach, did very well to get them in the number one seed. But in the fourth quarter, he had DeMar DeRozan benched. The guy was off on offense. He was not having a good game, but I think he's a much better defender than CJ Miles. You have to have him in there guarding LeBron James in the fourth quarter. Look, I'm a big stats guy. I think that uh, at the beginning of this series, I will 
take my medicine right here and tell everyone that I messed up. I said that there's no way LeBron James could carry a whole team through a series, and there's no way that he can do it all by himself. I didn't even think they were going to beat the Pacers in Game 7. Um, but right now, I will admit, I was wrong about that. When Le- when you have a guy like LeBron James who's averaging, what, 35 or 40 points a night in this series, it does make that big of a difference. And I forgot to take into account that, sure, not one player will score all the points, but one player will score enough of the points to let the team know, hey, I'm here to play for you guys, and we're going to do this all together. And it kind of helps out everyone around him. So I will admit I was wrong, and LeBron James is definitely the difference maker in this uh, series so far. Game three, he put up 38 points again, 41 minutes on the field. And so he does help out his team a lot. Um, I'm sure that everyone else has higher stats just because LeBron sort of knows when to take over. So, JRP, tell me your thoughts about this series as a whole. I think the series is looking pretty good. Now, since the the Cavaliers had a struggling first round with the Pacers, you know, I feel like this is kind of like a wake-up call. As you can see, Kevin Love, he's playing incredible. He had 21 and 16. You know, he even had a few defensive points, some steals and some blocks. We don't see that from Kevin Love. We never see that from Kevin Love. So, you know, everyone's playing up to their pace, you know, on the team. So that's what's looking good for the, for the Cavaliers. Everyone's playing well and getting back to that, you know, championship feeling that they want to be in. Of course. Will, one last final prediction for the series? Well, I think that the GOAT is going to sh- go out here and show Toronto and all of Canada, really, why he is the greatest player to ever grace our TV screens. He's going to go out and he's going to show everyone that he's better than Michael and he's been better than Michael for years. Let's not forget, just going back into that piece, because I still have some pointers that I'd like to hit and not nail on the chalkboard, scoreboard, whatever you want to put it up. At this point in his career, I think Michael is in, what, his second retirement? Something like that. And right now you're going out with LeBron James – who's going after, what, seven straight, eight straight NBA Finals? This is the greatest run that we've ever seen from a player ever. And, yes, when he played with the Heat, he had some great teammates and some great players. When he played with Kyrie, he had some great – I mean, clearly, Kyrie is a great teammate. Kevin Love was a great teammate. Now he's fallen off, really, I think. I don't think he's a legitimate superstar anymore. Just look at his numbers. And then – you know, this team, like I said, they're built with guys who come from the Cirque Rec League. He's out there dominating teams with, you know, guys you see on Friday and Saturday night trying to relive high school glory days. <laughs> he's out here killing it. This is why he's the greatest player to ever grace our TV screens. You're going to go out, watch him win this series in Game 4 or Game 5, then you're going to look, watch him win the next series against my Celtics, and he's going to go to the NBA Finals again with a ragtag bunch of teammates, just like he did in 07. And right now it's hard to bet against him because he's a man on a mission. He wants to be the best ever. He is the best ever. And speaking of your Boston Celtics, we're going to go right into that. Cleveland up 3-0, to zero, but on the other side of things in the Eastern Conference, Boston Celtics going up 3-0 to zero against the 76ers last night, going into overtime and taking it 101-98. to 98. Let's talk about that game specifically. Did Ben Simmons blow the game for the 76ers, or is the mantra behind Coach Brad Stevens for the Celtics, uh, is that what won them the game? And should the 76ers start to go into offseason mode and look for a look for a big star starting now? I mean, they're down 3-0. Just like the uh, Cleveland series, I don't think there's any way Philly can come back. I was really pulling for them, but Boston is just showing too much dominance in this series. 
and we're going to see more than likely, barring like a 1% miracle, that it is uh, Toronto or 76ers in this series. So Boston and Cleveland. But right now we're going to talk about Game 3 specifically for Boston and 76ers. Tell me a little bit about what you guys saw here, JRP. Yes, I saw a very good game between the Celtics and Philadelphia. I see that the Celtics – see, what I really like about – see, all right, to be honest, I was pulling for 76ers to win the series, but I, I'm watching right now. Celtics are turning up and playing with a lot of confidence, even though their main star powers are out with injuries. They're still beating teams. That's what's crazy. With the young roster the Celtics have, you know, they're still out there giving it all they got. You know, they, have, they don't really have anything to lose for. Austin, I think it's a combination of things. I think this uh, Sixers team is just very young. You have Joel Embiid, you have Ben Simmons, uh, Markel Fultz. These guys are just very young. I think eventually they will get there in a couple years. And then I think the other side of it is, is Brad Stevens is, is the coach of the year. This guy's lost two All-Stars, and they still find themselves in the, in the conference semifinals. And more than likely in the conference finals right. after this series, right. of course, uh, going up against the 76ers. Now look, I hashtag trusted the process. I loved this team, especially after what they did in the first round, taking out the Miami Heat. But Boston, what is going on here, man? I I didn't see this happening. Uh, Boston has nobody on their team, and they're still up 3-0. to zero. Is it all because of Brad Stevens, or is it players just stepping up? First off, they said I was crazy last week, people at home. <laughs> they said I was a lunatic. They said there was no chance. They said the Celtics were done. They're playing with scrubs. Their best two players aren't even going to play in this series. The rest of the playoffs, Will, you're stupid. <laughs> Look at me now, baby. Champs. That's right. You My did, Boston you did say Celtics. Last week. You, you did, did say last week you would come on here and gloat if they were going to win the series. Right? That is right. I give you that. My Boston Celtics are up three games to zero. We're going to the Eastern Conference Finals. Brad Stevens is the coach of the year for the reasons exactly why I said last week. I well, what are those reasons? We got to remind the people. We have to remind the people. That's right, Austin. <laughs> Don't take me off before my soapbox. Before you blow up their radio in their car. <laughs> <laughs> so, Brad Stevens preaches defense, and what he does is he gets the most out of his players that anyone has ever had. Who is this Rozier guy? You've never heard of him, and he's dominating Game one, game two, game three. He's out there killing it. Jalen Brown is a rookie, if I'm not mistaken. Second, second year. Second year. Second year player. Second year players aren't supposed to do what he's doing right now. He was an afterthought when they got Kyrie Irving and Gordon, and Gordon Hayward. He wasn't supposed to do this. You got Jason Tatum. That dude's a rookie. He's given a really strong case for rookie of the year. He's made Ben Simmons look awful compared to him in this uh, playoff series. So when I'm looking at it, for the same reasons I chose last week, as I run around the 88-1, the Berg Studios, in the Cirque patio. I don't know which, if it's east or west. <laughs> I think it's, uh, I think I think it's west. west, yeah. West patio, <laughs> shouting from the heavens with my Boston Celtics flag and my Boston Celtics jersey that I stole from my roommate. We're going to the Eastern Conference Finals, baby. Well, yeah, for never, sure now. Never doubt me again. I am the new guru. <laughs> ESPN should come to me on who's going to win the series. Oh, yeah, right. It yeah. is me. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. All right, hot shot. Quiet down. <laughs> <laughs> Look, what you just brought up, everything for Brad Stevens being the coach and everything he preaches, 
Um, I will give it to you. He is doing a great job at turning these seven bench players on any other team into seven really good players on his team. You know, Al Horford, Jason Tatum, Aaron Baines, Terry Rozier, Marcus Smart, Marcus Morris, Jalen Brown. That's seven guys that if you would have asked me who they play for at the beginning of the season, I would not have known. I would not have known who these guys played for. Um, but on the other side of things, I think you're forgetting a little bit of something here, Will. The 76ers might just be imploding. I mean, sure, the Celtics are doing everything they can, and Brad Stevens is coaching this team well. But after naming off all those guys, if you can't have a team put together like the 76ers to beat that team, I don't know what's going on with them, you know? Do you have anything to say about that? They're imploding because of our Lord and Savior, Brad Stevens. <laughs> he is making them implode. He knows how to get under their skin. He knows what players to play against them defensively. This is a team that is really... It was an overtime win. I hate to interrupt you here, but it was an overtime there. win. Keyword there, win. And that's all the playoffs are about. I don't care if you win by a point. I don't care if somehow they create a thing where you win by half a point. As long as you win, that's what's most important. And right now, Brad Stevens has this team going crazy. And let's be real. If you're the 76ers, you're scared. Because their best two players are on the injured reserve list right now or whatever they call it in basketball. Like, let's not even, like, joke around. If Terry Rozier's doing this to you, what's Kyrie Irving going to do to you? What's Gordon Gordon Hayward going to do to you? They got to go pick someone up. They got to go get, like, Paul George in the offseason. Or I don't know what Melo's contract is. They have to go get someone because they're getting flat-out embarrassed by the C-squad for the Boston Celtics. All right, well... I mean, you brought it up. Let's get it. Let's get right into this debate. I want to know what you guys think. Are the Boston Celtics too good, or are the 76ers not good enough to win the series? I think it's more of the 76ers not playing to their full potential. Will thinks Brad Stevens is winning the series all by himself. JRP, what do you think? I mean, <clears throat> I think the, the Sixers are just they're ending their hot streak right now, and they're just coming down to a crash. I hate to say it because I really want them to win, but. And the Celtics have just been on fire since the beginning of the whole playoffs. So I just I can just see them right now. And I'm looking at right now some live stats like um, three points percentage. Boston is leading, you would think. I mean, Philadelphia is leading it. And, and for turnovers, you know, Philadelphia is leading that. So that's another key thing that's hurting the, them in that process. But they are killing them on the glass, but only by like a few rebounds, which is pretty surprising. And for the points. Boston is averaging about 45 more points, and then Philadelphia is having, like, 39. So, I mean, it's pretty close, but, you know, Celtics are still killing them. All right, wrapping this up, Will – or, sorry, Miles. Boston Celtics, 76ers, are the Celtics winning this series or are the Sixers losing this series? I think the Sixers are losing this series. But one thing we got to remember, this team, the core of this team – it's first time in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. You could say the same about Boston. These guys don't have a lot of a playoff experience, but they had guys last year in that conference final series against LeBron. And then you also can't forget about Al Horford. Coming into the series, one of the matchups I was most excited about was Joel Embiid and Al Horford. I kind of thought it would be more even, but Al Horford is giving him the veteran, you know, he's giving him the veteran moves, and he's just, he's got the edge over this guy right now. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure that Brett Brown, the way he drew up the play, was for Marco Bellinelli to get the last shot. And sure, he did hit the three to send it to overtime, but I think you got better options to go for the win there in overtime. All right, boys, we're going to get to a quick commercial break. After this break, we will be talking about the Seattle Mariners 
taking the game last night in what seems to be the craziest game on the season for the team, possibly in the last like 10 or so years. Um, so we'll be talking about that. And then after that, we'll be talking about two Japanese MLB superstars. We'll be talking about both of them. We'll be talking about Shohei Otani and what he brings to the Angels and what kind of difference he's been making or if he's not even making a difference. I know Will has a hot take on that. And then we'll be talking about Ichiro, his retirement later this uh, week. We'll be talking about everything he's done. Is it a good move by the Mariners to keep him? Everything like that. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. You're listening to Sunday Sports Central on 88.1 The Berg. We'll be right back with more Sunday Sports Central. And we're back with more Sunday Sports Central. Sunday Sports Central here on 88.1 The Berg. Happy Sunday, everybody. If you missed the first 40 minutes or so, we were talking about NBA, Western and Eastern side of things. And if you missed that, you can go back and listen to it on our SoundCloud at 88.1 The Berg. And we will also be posting that on our Twitter at 88.1 The Berg and on Facebook, 88.1 The Berg KCWU. But right now, we are going to be talking about the Seattle Mariners. Joining me is Will Ortner and Jordan Riley Payne. Miles had to head out for the day. So I'm here with the boys. We're going to be talking about the Mariners. Last night, what I saw from the Seattle Mariners against the Los Angeles Angels was one of the best performances I have seen by the team in the past five or ten years. The Seattle Mariners never gave up in this game. They were down 4-0 to at one point in the game. Excuse me, 3-0, and then they scored in the bottom of the sixth. Yes, yes, they were down 4-0 to because the Angels scored in the first inning. They were down 4-0. to uh, going into the bottom of the six, and then they score two in the bottom of the six, and then they come out in the bottom of the eighth, down by two, and do something that I have not seen them do for a while, and that is come back and take the lead in the bottom of the eighth. So they go up by two in the bottom of the eighth. Then Edwin Diaz surprisingly gives up a two-run home run in the top of the ninth. The Angels tie it up, and I knew at that very moment we were not going to score in the bottom of the ninth. We already scored four runs in the bottom of the eighth, and I think we had the bottom of the lineup coming up in the bottom of the ninth. Um, so I was ready to go into extra innings, and that's exactly what happened. And as soon as the Angels scored in the top of the tenth, they scored one run. I was like, we're done. We come out in the bottom of the tenth. We score exactly one run. Very surprising to me. Um, it is a very keep-fighting sort of mentality that we had in 2014 when Ken Griffey Jr. did his retirement ceremony, and he said, Hashtag keep fighting and started that whole movement that year. Um, this game reminded me very much of that, and I was at that game, and it was a turning point in the season. Um, so the Mariners score in the bottom of the 10th to tie it up. Angels score in the top of the 11th, again, one run. And at that point, again, I was saying to myself, this game is over. They went up by one. The Mariners never come back in the bottom of the inning, especially in extra innings. It seems like we're just horrible in the in extra innings. They score two in the bottom of the 11th. Ryan Healy, the MVP of this game, I would say, uh, scoring that final, uh, getting that final RBI to win the game. Um, but all around, I think everybody on the batting lineup had a hit except for D. Gordon, and he pinched ran in the eighth inning. And so he got one at bat, went over one. But everyone else on the batting lineup got at least one hit. So an overall team effort. And back to what I was saying, the mentality that this team has 
to win this game shows a difference from the past five, even 10, even maybe 15 Seattle Mariners seasons to win this game by one run in the bottom of the 11th reminds me very much of a late 1990s, early 2000s Seattle Mariners team. And so let's get right into it. I'm going to pass the mic over to Jordan Riley Payne. Jordan, you were at this game, and I am so mad at you for leaving early. Tell me what you saw at the game, what you see in the final box score, and why did you leave early, man? Come on. <laughs> man, first of all, that was an intense game. Like, the Mariners were shut out all the way up to, you know, the sixth inning. That's when they haven't they haven't scored since then. Mm-hmm. The Mariners were playing good all the way up until literally once that sixth inning hit, then they really just turned up. I felt like L.A. was like, man, these guys really came out because Friday night, L.A. beat them, you know, 5-0. So mm-hmm. I felt like the Mariners really wanted a redemption night. So tonight, yeah, like like we said, Ryan Healy was the leader. He did send Kyle Seager for the winning run, and then the boys just looked good that night, you know, and then – I wish I got to stay for the whole game, but unfortunately, my girlfriend had to work at 6 in the morning, so we had to leave at the game at like 8.45, mm-hmm. and we really thought the game was over when it was 4-2 when yeah. uh, Kanoi was struck out, but I guess it, the Mariners turned around and, you know, they won the game. And that's exactly what I'm talking about. Nobody really expected the Mariners to be able to pull out this win multiple times, I would say. Every time the Angels went up, I'm sure Mariners fans across the Pacific Northwest were like, oh, this game's over. Turn the Mm -hmm. TV off. I'm not watching this. I was very tempted to do that. But something about the team this year gives me this mentality like, no, they're not quite done. They can pull this out. And this game just proved that. Uh, This game is also huge because they lost game one. They needed to take this game to have a chance today at 110 to uh, take the series against the Angels. Shohei Otani versus Felix today. Make sure and watch that game. That is going to be a great game. But, again, going back to last night, this win puts them a half a game behind the Angels for, uh, I think it's either first or second in the AOS. I'm not sure. Uh, I think the Astros lost to the Diamondbacks. But we're a half a game behind the Angels right now. Angels at 20-13, and 13, Mariners at 19-13. and 13. So taking today would just further emphasize how big of a game uh, last night was to win that game. Will, tell me your thoughts on last night's game and just the team as a whole this season. First off, that was a pretty big bus you just threw your girlfriend under. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no. So, because I'm a Mariners fan and I saw that we were losing, I did the natural Mariners fan thing to do. <laughs> and I turned the game off and I went and bought some pizza so that I could cry and, you know, have a little binge eating to, oh, yeah, yeah. to fuel my sorrow as I sat there and cried about my Seattle Mariners blowing it like they always do. And then I get a text from you at like 11 o'clock, Austin. And oh, all yeah. of a sudden, it was like 1130. Had, all of a sudden you go, dude, this game. And I was like, whoa, why is he texting me like this late? Something yep. must have happened. I go in, I check the box score and somehow we come out with the win. That's incredible. What to me, that shows the true grit that these Seattle Mariners have. Uh, I think it comes from management down. I think that comes from Cervais and DePoto mm. and is built into this team. I think with additions of guys like D Gordon um, and then like Gene Segura, which was an addition last year um, and Hanniger coming up from the farm system. Those are additions within the last two years that have proved huge for them. But I think what we're downplaying as well is who were on those early nineties, 2000 teams, your hitting coach and Edgar Martinez and your new, I don't know what position he has. Ichiro Suzuki. Mm-hmm. He's like, we just want you as a part of the program yeah. position. 
And I think leadership from those guys instills into these younger players, hey, keep fighting. You can still do this. Let's also not forget that I believe Robinson Cano has a World Series ring with the Yankees. And Cruz has gone deep in the playoffs in the past as well. Yeah. I think those guys, along with Ichiro and Edgar, are in these young players' ears. Hey, you still have a chance. You can still do this. You can still fight. You can still win. And that's huge for me because normal Mariners teams would have gone out, thrown in the towel. Exactly. Ah, it's okay. Let's mm-hmm. just not get swept. But they didn't do that. And that, as a fan, has me excited. Maybe this is the year. Exactly. And this game last night was a complete marathon. It seemed like both teams used everyone they had, uh, pretty much nearly everyone they had. I know the Angels were running uh, running on empty cylinders out in the bullpen. Uh, the Mariners were using pinch runners, pinch hitters everywhere. I mean, by the end of the game, Nelson Cruz wasn't even in the game because we brought in D. Gordon to pinch run for him. Um, but that is a big point you bring up, Will, how past Mariners teams would just throw in the towel on this one. I feel like uh, middle 2000s, late 2000, uh, coming up towards like 2010-ish time for the Mariners, they would have for sure been down in this game in the extra innings and not found a way to win this game. Mm-hmm. And But what do we see this year? We see a team that has so much energy. D. Gordon on the bench, just rooting for everyone, bringing that energy to this team that they needed. Uh, you know, Something I saw last night that I thought was amazing and that I've never seen in my time of being alive on this earth from a Mariners team was some guy hitting a home run and two different Mariners players in the dugout doing a handshake after he hit a home run. That is something I've never seen from a Mariners team. It kind of just shows that this team is here to win this year, and they have this energy, this mentality, this star power. They have everything needed to finally break this curse and go to the playoffs, but... Man, this game last night really proved to me that this team will not give up no matter what circumstances they are in. JRP, any final thoughts on this uh, game last night for the Mariners? Yeah, I just really think they they came in the game knowing that they wanted to win because they didn't want to get shut out for the whole weekend. So Mm -hmm. I'm taking in considerate that since the Mariners won off last night off that crazy win, tonight, I mean, today's game, should be a good game. I could probably see the Mariners pulling out, especially since we're having one of our best pitchers in Felix Hernandez coming, you know, to say to save us. Yeah, and for sure, don't miss today's game starting at 110 against the Angels. Felix Hernandez taking the bump for the Seattle Mariners. Shohei Otani taking the bump for the Los Angeles Angels. And that is exactly what we are going to be talking about coming up soon on Sunday Sports Central is Shohei Otani. But Will, I want one last final thought on this Mariners series against the Angels. Who pulls out today's win? Well, I think Felix goes out there and shows the young buck, hey, I am still the best pitcher in this division. I am still the top guy. I'm a star. I am the king. And I think he goes out and he pitches one of her better, his better performances on the year. And I think the Mariners find a way to win. And if they find a way to win, I believe they are the division leaders if Houston loses. Houston is one game or is tied with the Angels from my stat checking last night. If they can go out, pull out this win, you now have an AL West division leading Seattle Mariners, which has not happened in years. This would be huge for the ball club as a whole, but huge for the city. Now you're getting more people into the stands. Now you're getting more people watching the games. Let's not forget Seattle is a baseball town. This would be a huge victory. This could be one of the pivotal like three or four games you look back at on the season and go, that was a big game. We needed the win. 
if they're a playoff team, they will win this game. That is exactly what I was thinking as I was watching the game. I was thinking back to the past couple of seasons where we've missed the wild card by one or two games. And I was thinking these are the kind of games that we lost at the beginning of the season and came back to bite us at the end of the season. And so they pull out the win. And another thing is, from my perspective right now, is it's proving Scott Service and Jerry DePoto's worth to this ball club as a whole. Um, the way that they go- went out and got these guys that are able to keep this mentality of we will never lose this game no matter what you throw at us. Uh, I think homage to Jerry DePoto and Scott Service for that. A bunch of fans are mad at them for the decisions they've made in the offseason, not getting pitchers, and the decisions they made even during the season, keeping Ichiro for as long as they did on the roster. But I want to bring up how good of a job they have done to put together a batting lineup that no matter who is up, it seems like they will have a chance to turn the game around. And so that's something big I see from Scott Service and Jerry DePoto doing this year, and I think it will carry on into the rest of the season. And games like this, they will not throw in the towel anymore. They will always try to win, and especially after a game like this early in the season, they will think back to this game the rest of the season, and they will say, we were in this same spot, and we won the game. It's proof that we can do it. Why not go out there and try to do it every single game the rest of the season? So that will wrap up our talk about the Seattle Mariners. Coming up a little bit later in the show, we will be talking about Ichiro. Um, just one last, you know, pay respects to the guy uh, staying in the Seattle organization for the team. And then late in the show, a little bit later, we're going to be talking to Mad Fan. He's coming on as a special guest today on Sunday Sports Central. Mad Fan um, will be joining us in studio. But right after this break, we will be going into talks about Shohei Otani. Um, let's talk about if he is special or not. I want to know what everyone thinks about that. So don't go anywhere. Thank you for joining us this first hour. Don't go anywhere. Stick around for the second hour here on Sunday Sports Central on 88.1 The Berg. And we're back with more Sunday Sports Central. Welcome back to Sunday Sports Central here on 88.1 The Berg. I am your host, Austin Lane. I am joined by the wonderful Will Ortner. And Will, this segment we are going to be talking about Shohei Otani and the kind of difference he is making in the MLB. Uh, If you missed the first hour from 9 to 10, we talked about the NBA Western Conference playoffs, the NBA Eastern Conference playoffs, and these last 20 minutes we have been talking about the Seattle Mariners, specifically that game last night. If you missed that game, man, go watch those highlights. What a game. But if you missed the first hour of the show, you can catch that on our SoundCloud at 88.1theberg. We will also be tweeting the playlist out of all of the clips from 9 to 11 this morning on our Twitter, and that's at 88.1theberg. And on our Facebook, 88.1 The Bird KCW. So make sure and check those out if you miss this first hour. But we are locked and loaded, ready to go for another hour. 10 to 11, we will be here. And right now, we're talking about Shohei Otani. Will, I want to ask you a question just to start off this talk. Is Shohei Otani making a difference in the MLB? And is he what he has lived up to be? That whole mantra of him coming over to the United States after playing in Japan for a couple of seasons. Is he what he is living up to be? And is he special? Is he making a difference in the MLB? Just tell me your thoughts on Shohei Otani. Well, when I look at Shohei Otani, I see clearly a great baseball player and a guy who knows what he's going to do. But when I look at the ESPN coverage of him or the MLB coverage of him, I'm just like, he, he isn't Babe Ruth. Clearly, he has a smaller gut. He doesn't go out and party every night. It's a different player. So I, I don't believe the hype of this guy. Yeah, he, he did okay. 
He's and he's a third pitcher in your rotation. You know, for a month. Cool. You hit a couple home runs. So does everyone else. I mean, Ichiro hit home runs. It's not that hard so, if you're an MLB player. So I don't buy it. I don't see it. I don't see the love. I don't I don't buy it. Here's the thing about that. You're comparing him to Ichiro, which, sure, you can make that comparison. Two guys coming over from Japan and making a big wave here in the MLB, um, getting all the star power, all the love from the media, all the attention. Um, but here is something that Ichiro – I mean, he he might have done, but they never let him do, and that was pitch while also being a hitter on the team, kind of. Shohei Otani is special, and he is making a difference in the MLB because he is the first guy in a long time that a team is letting be the designated hitter and a starting pitcher in their starting rotation. I mean, for as good as he is at pitching, he's also he also already has 14 RBIs, four home runs. He's hitting 339. You know, we're seeing this sort of difference maker coming into the league. And at the beginning, I didn't really know what to expect or what to think. You know, all I heard was this guy can pitch and this guy can hit, which you don't see in the MLB. You see guys picking one route and sticking to that route. You know, you're either saying, I'm going to be a really good hitter, and that's all you work on your whole career is being the best hitter that you can. Or on the other side of things, I'm going to be a great pitcher. That's all you're going to work on. I've never seen a guy that's able to put in enough work to be a good hitter and a good pitcher at the same time, especially during this time in the MLB where you see pitchers sort of dominating hitters. He's still a good hitter. And you bring up the fact that home runs are easy to hit. I know that Ichiro had like 15 one season, um, but he is on Shohei Otani is on pace for 40 this season already. Sure, he might not hit 40, but I could see him finishing the season with 30 home runs, probably about 80 RBIs, and Heck, he might even stick around that 300 batting average and finish above 300, and that's obviously good enough for an all-star, uh, possibly even good enough. Is he considered a rookie? Would that be rookie of the year? He, w- he would be considered a rookie. Yeah, so, so yeah. he would be good enough to be considered rookie of the year um, batting-wise. Now, he also might even be considered for Cy Young for uh, rookie of the year pitching-wise. You know, There's so many things that this guy can do. I think he's making a difference just because of his versatility um, but what do you think about Shohei Otani and the way he sort of plays pitcher and hitter? You know, does, he plays these roles pretty well. I think you would say that. But why isn't he sort of that special difference maker in the MLB? Well, when I look at it and people are building him up, and I'm not a big, other than Seattle Mariners baseball, I'm not a big baseball guy. I love my home team, but that's it. So when I go out and I read Shohei Otani is the next Babe Ruth. Is he the greatest player to ever enter the Western Hemisphere? How good is Shohei Otani? You know, in the headlines. And then I go out and I look at his numbers, and the dude is 2-1 with a 4.43 ERA. Okay. like that, That's all right. That That's a third, fourth best pitcher in your lineup. That's not awful. I mean, yeah, he had that one game where he was pretty good and had, like, what, a no-no through seven? Yeah. Cool. What have you done since then? You only went five and a third against the Astros. You've had ankle injuries already. You've barely been in the league for a month, and you're having injury issues in baseball. That's not good. And you don't play in the field, really. You just pitch. So you can argue to me, like, his batting is really good. And I'm I'm with you on that. 
I'm sold on him as a hitter. I'm not sold on him as a pitcher. And when people start talking about like, oh, could he win a Cy Young? How? How can you win it with a two one win uh win loss record and a four point four three ERA? He's good. And he's a good player and he's gonna be in the league for a while. But I don't buy the Japanese Babe Ruth. That's just out out of the question for me. I buy the Japanese Babe Ruth. I think you're looking at it from a different perspective than me. I think you're looking at it as people were saying he's the Japanese Babe Ruth because he's a really good player. I'm looking at it as people are saying he's the Japanese Babe Ruth because he can pitch and he can hit. That's strictly all that I'm saying. And, I mean, sure, he's 2-1 with a 4-4-3 ERA. You know how early it is in the season? I mean, his ERA could just keep going down and down and down, and we'll be talking about him completely differently come All-Star break. Um, and his batting, like you said, it's good. He's hitting about 340. And I think that if he keeps up the batting, he will get Rookie of the Year for batting. And the fact that you even have to say I'm sold on his batting and I'm not sold on his pitching, that's big enough for me to say he's the Japanese Babe Ruth. Because you're saying I'm taking this hitter and saying he's good at hitting, but when he pitches, he's not that good. There's nobody else in the MLB that you can even say that for. You cannot take another hitter in the MLB right now and say, yeah, I don't really think he's that good at pitching. That there's nobody else that you can even say that for. The fact that you even have to compare how good his batting is to how good his pitching is proves to me that he is the Japanese Babe Ruth because Babe Ruth was a guy that could pitch and that could hit, and this is the first guy we've seen since do that. This is very similar to me to the Baker, Mayfield, Drew, Brees argument. Like, oh, because Baker is short, he must be equivalent to Drew Brees. Well, oh, because Shohei can pitch and hit, he must be equivalent to Babe Ruth. And if I'm Babe Ruth right now, I'm turning in my grave because I'm ticked. This guy, you're comparing him to Babe Ruth, who has one of the best ERAs as a pitcher. Let's not forget, Babe Ruth had a 2.28 ERA. That's unheard of. He was nine. He had 94 wins and 46 losses and then was like, yeah, pitching's too boring for me. I'm too good at it. I'm going to go to the plate, and I'm going to hit. And let's not forget, Babe Ruth was doing all this before we started weight training. Babe Ruth was just going out there, doing a couple stretches. He'd chug a gallon of beer, eat some hot dogs, and then go out and crank dinners. That is why he was done pitching, not because he was too good, because he wanted to get big. He wasn't going to pitch if he was a big guy. He was going to start going out and hitting home runs. Big guys throw faster sometimes. Look at CC Sabathia. So... When I'm looking at it, Babe Ruth was just a guy who could do it all, and it was natural. Shohei Otani, while good and a very good player, does not compare to me to Babe Ruth just because he does pitch and hit. He's an okay pitcher that's a really good batter. That's what he is. He's a guy that you can throw out as your fourth or fifth guy on the mound. Babe Ruth was an ace when he was pitching, and he was your best hitter in your lineup. I'll agree with you. Babe Ruth was a great pitcher while he was pitching, and obviously we know what he did as a hitter. But you're underestimating this guy, Shohei Otani. He got Rookie of the Month for April, his first month in the MLB. He played 12 games, finished with a 341 batting average, four home runs, and 12 RBIs. It was good enough to be AL Rookie of the Month. I think this guy's going to get Rookie of the Year, and what we are forgetting to talk about is the rest of his career. What if this guy starts focusing more on pitching since he's already so good at hitting? What if he focuses a little bit more on pitching, becomes a really good pitcher, 
then what are you going to say? Is he still not the Babe Ruth of the of the league? Well, until he hits 714 home runs, has a batting average over 340, and he has over 2,800 hits. I he's not Babe Ruth. You never know. He could hit those marks. He could hit those marks, but he hasn't. I could see him hitting those marks hitting, except for the home runs. That's not happening. Since the steroid era, no one's touching any of those numbers. So then when I look at it, then he has to hit his pitching numbers, and I just don't see it. Yeah, he's a young kid. Yeah, he's got a good arm. Yeah, he could go out and develop more. I just don't see it. You're looking at a guy who, while he's very good and he can do both, he just doesn't have the abilities that Babe Ruth did. And it, if I was a family member of Babe Ruth, I'd be a little offended that they're going out and saying, oh, this guy's as good as my grandpa. There's no way he's as good as your grandpa. He's not even close. He's trying to be like your grandpa. He's just not there. He's like doing your own oil instead of going to uh, like a master at Jiffy Lube. That's what he is. He's trying to do your own oil. He's, he's a <laughs> self-mechanic. He's a rookie. Well, I mean, what can we say about the guy? When Babe Ruth was a rookie, he hit 315. So would you say a pretty good batter? He had only had four home runs and 20 RBIs his rookie season. So while – and let's go to his pitching stats real quick. Well, let's look at the games, though. So, yeah, those were Babe Ruth's batting numbers, but he only hit when he pitched. So he only hit every five games – and it's the exact opposite. In a for, shorter season. It's the exact opposite for Otani. He only pitched every five games. So did Babe Ruth. And when you look at it, though, Otani is getting more at bat. Otani will have, like, darn near triple the at bats that Babe Ruth had when Babe Ruth was a rookie. Well, Babe Ruth was 18 and 8 his rookie season, pitching wise, with a 2.44 ERA. Um, but we brought up the batting stats. Here's what I see Babe Ruth went from being a pitcher to being a hitter. Shohei Otani can do both at the same time, and he's not that bad at either. I would say he's a really good hitter and an average pitcher. That's something that Babe Ruth never was. Babe Ruth was a good pitcher, and then he was a good hitter. He was never good at both at the same time because he never had to focus on one or the other. And I think I'm not saying Shohei Otani is a better player, but I am saying it is a legit thing to say that he is the next ja he's the Japanese Babe Ruth. Well, when you look at it, then Babe Ruth wasn't allowed to be a pitcher and a hitter. He tried to with the Red Sox, and they said no, and then they traded him away. And Otani was so hyped up coming out of Japan that everyone was like, well, he has to be that. He has to do this. He has to do that. And, yes, he's a very, very good hitter, and he's a decent pitcher. I just don't see the comparison to Babe Ruth because, again, like, yes, he's okay. But Babe Ruth was great. Babe Ruth was great without a lot of the amenities and a lot of the extra weight training, the dietary stuff that Shohei gets, that he Babe Ruth just walked out there and did it. Shohei Otani isn't that. He doesn't have the athletic ability that Babe Ruth did, which is ironic because Babe Ruth was rather large. But when I look at it, I know like deep down in my heart that Babe Ruth – is your top guy, and Shohei Otani is a cheap imitation. It could be something along those lines. Babe Ruth is your in sync 
or your Backstreet Boys and Shohei's new kids on the block. He's okay. Oh, come on. He's not great. <laughs> We're not going to get into that. Come on now. Shohei Otani is the One Direction of oh, Babe Ruth. Gosh. Okay. So, yeah, all the young fans like him. While yeah. all the older guys are like, ah, he's nothing special. Because they're smarter and wiser. They, <laughs> they've seen it all. They know what's going on. Yeah, the young people like him. He's cool. He's interesting. He does two things, which in baseball you really don't do. Mm-hmm. But he just doesn't do it for me, man. He's he, okay. You take a guy from the 1920s, and you tell him, he, and he's a good pitcher, and you tell him, we want you to hit. So he starts hitting really well. Sure, that's one thing. You take a guy in 2018, and you say, we want you to hit and pitch for us at the same time, right when you get here, there's got to be some reason that Shohei Otani is able to do these things. He's he's not that great at pitching, but maybe he is. It's really early in the season. It's too early to tell, I would say. Um, he had one or two bad outings, and he had one or two really good outings. He had that no-no through seven innings. And it shows to me that this guy might be something special. And sure, his stats might never equate to Babe Ruth, but that's because Babe Ruth went from being a pitcher to being a strictly batter. So so Babe Ruth's batting stats will always be better than Shohei Otani's. We've never seen someone who can do both at the same time. You're bringing up these things like, oh, well, Babe Ruth didn't have dietary supplements or whatever they had, you know, whatever they have nowadays, Babe Ruth never had. Well, I mean, the same argument could be made as to why someone average nowadays is better than someone we take as really good back then. Okay, they're average while they get all this extra things, while someone back in the day was was good, but they didn't have all these things that we have nowadays. You just can't compare history like that. Um, but you can say that he is a the next Babe Ruth because Babe Ruth was a good hitter and pitcher. Shohei Otani's a good pitcher and hitter. What What more can you say? There's no more argument. Babe Ruth was a great pitcher and a great hitter. Shohei Otani is a has the potential. Good, Let me has stop the you. Potential has the potential to, to be, be a, a good, good, great, great, good, great. Because by <laughs> by your argument last time, you said it's early in the season for his pitching stuff. It could be early in the season for his hitting stuff as well. Maybe he's just hot right now. We don't know. I need more time, and until I get more time, I'm not going to say that he's the Japanese baby. He's got some convincing of me. Maybe I'm a little bitter that he said no to my Mariners and then he went to the rival Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. Maybe I'm a little jaded. But until he does these things, I'm not going to be a buyer. I'm not buying any stock in Shohei Otani today. I need multiple years of greatness, of superbness, of star-driven, I can do both, and I'm going to be great at both because I say so, and I'm Shohei Otani, and I'm the greatest thing since sliced bread. Until I see that, I I don't buy it. Well, I think we've both come to the conclusion that we both need to see him a little bit more in the MLB. Uh, We both want him to put up really good stats before we can say anything about the guy. But the differences between me and you right now is that you won't call him the Japanese Babe Ruth because he's not. He doesn't have great stats yet. I'm calling him the Japanese Babe Ruth because he can pitch and hit. It doesn't matter if he's really good at one and only average at the other. He still can do both, which is something that nobody else in the MLB can do, and that that alone makes him a one-of-a-kind player. But we're going to hit a break real quick. 
on the other side of the break, we'll be talking about Ichiro. We'll be talking about his retirement earlier this week. And then later on in the show, I will be bringing on special guest, Mad Fan 88.1 The Berg. That is what you're listening to. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. You're listening to Sunday Sports Central here on 88.1 The Berg. We'll be right back with more Sunday Sports Central. And we're back with more Sunday Sports Central. Sunday Sports Central here on 88.1 The Berg. I am your host, Austin Lane, and I am joined by my wonderful co-host right now, Will Ortner. It is 1019 here in the studio, and if you missed the first hour and 20-ish minutes, go back and check out our SoundCloud 88.1 The Berg. We talked about NBA. We talked about the Mariners. We talked about Shohei Otani for the past uh, 15 minutes. So go check those out, and uh, those will also be tweeted on our Twitter at 88.1 The Berg and on our Facebook, 88.1 The Berg KCW. But right now... We are going to talk about Ichiro, retired earlier this week. Not an official retirement now. He might come back and play, but at this point, we will just say he is retired. Um, He's done playing for sure this season. They moved him to special assistant to the chairman. That's his new role for the Seattle Mariners after... You know, not that great of a start to the season. I think he was hovering around that 200 batting average. He wasn't helping out, and he even came up in a spot where we really needed help in the bottom of the ninth of the other night, and he struck out with a guy on third, I think, the tying run on third. And it was kind of like, and this, you know, the next day he retired. So it was kind of like, okay, buddy, you know, you're done. But let's not talk about his recent woes. Let's talk about his career as a whole now that he is pretty much coming down to a retirement 18 seasons in the MLB. His first, let me count them, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11 seasons in the MLB. He was an all-star, and he also got a golden glove in all, let me count them, yep, all 11 of those seasons as well, out in center field. Uh, We know what he did his rookie year. He made a complete difference, was a big part of that 116-win season for the Seattle Mariners, Um, and pretty much the first 11 years of his career, um, he just he just cr- made fans go crazy here in Seattle. He brought over fans from different countries just to watch the guy. He sold tickets. He was your star power. He was the talent you needed. I mean, 2004, let me look at some of these stats. 2004, the year he uh, got the hit record, 262 on the season. What's crazier to me than that 262 hits is the 372 batting average. How do you let a guy like that hit 372? Just start walking the guy. Hey, you know what they did? They started walking him. He led the league in intentional walks that season with 19 while also getting the hit record with 262. This man only got seventh place in the MVP voting that season. I don't understand that. I think he got gypped a little bit there. Um, But to hit 372, led the league in that batting average stat. To hit 372 in 2004 is absolutely nuts. So Ichiro, thank you for you know being the Seattle Mariner that we always needed you to be, especially in your first 11 or 12 seasons of your career. Uh, he took the time to go play in New York. He took the time to go play in Miami. Came back this season, 
Um, it was kind of a weird move to me to come back this season. Um, it definitely was a PR stunt to sell some tickets early in the season. Um, you might even say that we didn't get Shohei Otani, so let's get Ichiro to sell some more <laughs> to sell some more seats. Um, but we're talking about his career as a whole. Will tell me what your thoughts are on Ichiro's retirement and. I have a main question. Is he the best hitter of all time? Well, so first off, just on Ichiro, I grew up in the Pacific Northwest. I'm a Vancouver boy, born and raised. Uh, for you at home, that's Vancouver, Washington. I'm not Canadian. Um, and so I grew up watching Ichiro. He was my favorite player. I only have like one poster in my room back at home. It's of Ichiro. This dude was a superstar on a team that really had lost all their superstars, and they were really bad. Edgar Martinez retired very quickly into Ichiro's tenure with the Mariners. Uh, Felix was good, but he wasn't quite as great, and he, again, was at the tail end of Ichiro's tenure with the Mariners. So seeing this man retire after a guy that I imitated him, I did his famous you know, bat walk up, I'm going to pull the bat back like I'm going to pull my sleeve back like it's an arrow while my bat's pointed in the air. Mm -hmm. He was a hero to me. This was a guy that I replicated in T-ball when I'd go out and play coach pitch and even into like minor, you know, triple A or whatever you call it in Little League. We called it minors. Um, He was just a guy that every person wanted to be. You wanted to wear number 51. He was so good. He didn't need a last name. You never hear of that. So it was a sad, it was a hard day for me when he retired. It was a sad day. That was one of my heroes growing up. And to see him finally probably call it quits, be done, was tough. And to me, and I have this debate with my grandpa back in California all the time. He is the greatest hitter to me. You look at what he's done. He played in the major leagues in Japan and in America. He has the most hits. He has more than anyone in the world. He's faced all different kinds of hitters or pitchers, excuse me. He's won World Baseball Classics. He's been in the Olympics, I believe. He's the greatest hitter of all time, and there's no doubt about it. You can't compare him to me, to anyone else. Well, I I, I don't think he's the greatest hitter of all time. Let me get that out of the way. I don't think he's the greatest hitter of all time. But if we're strictly talking maybe contact hitter, possibly he's the greatest hitter of all time if we're talking about all-around hitter he's definitely not the greatest hitter of all time he he, he never was the the home run kind of guy he was that guy that we needed um while we had power hitters on the team we needed him to just get hits we needed him to just to get singles and then steal a couple bases and that's exactly what he did you know that season like 2004 he got those 262 hits most hits in a season he got two two 225 of those hits were singles now that is a crazy stat. He he um, holds the record for most singles in a season as well with those 225. Now to be able to hit all those singles is amazing, and you can make that argument that he's the best hitter of all time because he has the most hits in a season, and he has the most hits in a career, going over MLB and Japan. But you can't make the you can't make that um, argument for Ichiro because he unfortunately didn't spend all of his playing career in the MLB. Now if he had gotten all of those hits. In the MLB, sure, I'd probably be saying he's the greatest hitter of all time, but to get those hits in Japan that he did, you can't compare it to the MLB because you don't know what pitchers he kind of, he would have faced in the late 90s, early 2000s. 
You don't know, you know, how good he would have been in the MLB if he was at that age, you know, 18, 19 years old in the MLB. That's crazy. You don't know if he would have gotten all those hits. And so I think the only reason he leads uh, the history of most hits over uh, in MLB and Japan is because of those years he was in Japan. I think they're a little bit easier of a league to get hits in. Now, granted, I'm not taking anything away from the guy. The guy was a great player by far. Um, we know what he's done in the MLB, and we know how much of a difference he's made. But, I mean, in the last five or six years, he has slowed down a little bit where players in history did not slow down. And there are some guys who I think you could make the argument that they were a little bit better of a hitter, you know. Uh, you could make the argument that Joe DiMaggio was a better hitter because he has the hitting streak. You can make the argument that Babe Ruth was a better hitter because he has the uh, record for most total bases in a season. And, you know, you can make the argument that Barry Bonds was a better hitter. He has the most home runs, the most, you know, walks, most OPS, most slugging, most on base in a season. So there's a bunch of these guys. I don't say Ichiro is the best hitter of all time, but he's definitely a first ballot Hall of Famer. He will go in as a Seattle Mariner. And when that day comes, I will be very happy for him. Yeah. So, and I, just want to get into this debate um you and my grandpa and a lot of mlb writers have this tendency to be like well he played in japan so those don't count but that's still a professional league with professional pitchers if he's an american-born player he's in the mlb at that time probably so i've a it's hard for me to attack him for that because it's his circumstances that's something he can't control what he could control is how much, how many hits did he get? How many hits did he earn? And he went out and he had like over a thousand hits in the Japanese league. Then he gets brought over, comes here, and let's be real, he came here in the prime of his career as a rookie and still managed to fight through his late 30s and late early to mid 40s now at this point yeah. to get 3,000 hits. That's almost unheard of. And you can argue to me, all right, you know what? Yeah, guys like Griffey were a little more well-rounded. They could hit the long ball as well as they could hit for contact, get on base. Mm -hmm. But let's not forget, from his own teammates, they said Ichiro could hit the long ball whenever he wanted. He just didn't feel that that was his role on the team. He felt his role was to get on base. So he did what his role asked him to do. And I'm not going to lie. I'm completely biased. This is one of my all-time heroes. He is one of my favorite players to ever watch. The day he got traded, I was furious. I ran around the house complaining and saying the Mariners, top management, don't know what they're doing, and they're crazy. He's still the greatest, you know, maybe not Mariner, but Mariner to me. He's always going to be that guy for me because I didn't get to see Griffey. I didn't get to see Randy Johnson. I didn't get to see A-Rod. And I really only saw old Edgar. So to me, mm -hmm. for a guy that I've been alive to see, he's the greatest Mariner I've gotten to see. Griffey now is probably the greatest Mariner to ever play. Or Edgar. You could argue them both to me. Um, but so when I look at Ichiro, he is the hit king to me. I think he is the greatest hitter of all time. He found a way to get on base. And let's not forget, he played on a really, really bad Mariners ball club. He played on a Mariners ball club that, aside from 2001, never made the playoffs with him. He didn't have any supporting help. He had Richie Sexton as a teammate for years. And I'm not hating on a Prairie grad, another, you know, Vancouver native, but Richie Sexton was not very good. So 
when I look at it, he played on an abysmal team and still had the greatest hitting season of all time. So he's the greatest player, well, greatest hitter to me. He did everything he you asked of him and more. I see where your argument is. Coming from in from 2006 to 2010, in all five of those years, he led the league in hits. Um, but here's the thing. He also led in at-bats. You know, you can say, sure, he's the greatest hitter of all time. But you can also make the same argument for other people that maybe stayed more consistent throughout their the, their whole career. Um, what I see from Ichiro, and again, I'm not taking anything away from the guy, what I see is his first 10 years in the MLB being really good. He made the all-star uh, the all-star game every season and then sort of these last six or seven years he hasn't been doing that much compared to those first 10 um, he came to New York and he still hit 281 over his time in New York um, but then he went to Miami and he ended up hitting 256 over his three years in Miami I think that there will be players that you if you look back in history were more consistent throughout their whole career and sure, they didn't get as many hits, but that is what we asked him to do. He did a good job at getting singles. That's what we asked him to do. But if you look at throughout the time of history of baseball, you you just can't say Ichiro is the best hitter of all time. I think there is definitely people that are better than that. And I think there's people in the MLB nowadays that kind of started when he sort of fell off in that 2011-2012 time. And they're still in the MLB, and they're proving to be that they could finish their career as a better hitter than even Ichiro. You know, guys like Mike Trout, uh, Bryce Harper stick out to me. They could finish their their career and finish as a better all-time hitter than Ichiro. But I don't want to take anything away from the guy. I feel like I'm bashing the guy, but I just don't think he's the best hitter of all time. Yeah, I'm, and I could be completely Homer fan here, which I am, and that's going to be okay. But – you talk about Bryce Harper and Mike Trout possibly being better than Ichiro. They will never touch his all-time hit record. No, in, they won't touch. A, they won't touch that. They'll never touch four thousand hits in two different major league, uh, you know, baseball leagues. They'll never touch his two hundred and sixty-two hits he had in two thousand four. And the only reason he wasn't the MVP that year is because the Mariners were atrocious, and he was the only reason to come to the ballpark. So people just didn't pay attention to him. So when I look at it, it's like this is a dude who played 18 years in the majors when most people were guessing, because he came in at, what, 28, 29? Most people were guessing that he'd make it maybe 10 at best. Yeah. And the dude stuck around for years. He's still playing. And let's be real. While he's been bad right now, there are players that have been worse than him. And he's at 44, 45. Yeah, he's at 44. That's a pretty good mark. If I was, I'd be happy if I went out today and batted what Ichiro was batting in the majors right now. Yes, it's not what he was, but he was a great player well into his 40s, early 40s, 39, 40, 41. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's fallen off now, but that's what happens. And you know what? I'm, I don't think he's retired. I think he's retired from MLB. I think he'll go to Japan. Oh, really? I think someone will pick him up. Someone will pay him enough money. His old team, like the Oryx Buffaloes or something like yeah. that, had wanted him in uh, an ESPN article that I read by Wright Thompson. Mm -hmm. And so I think he goes to Japan and he plays until he's 50. And that's what he's always wanted to do. And the man is a creature of habit. And I think that's what he'll do. 
and he'll go out and he'll prove that he can still play at a high level. Yeah, it's not the major leagues here in America, but it's a major league in Japan, and there's quality players. We just talked about one of them. Yeah, I don't think he's great, but Shohei Otani is a pretty good hitter, mm-hmm. and he's a good pitcher. He's all right, and that came out of that league. So he's going to go out, and he'll play. He'll find a way to play until he's 50. They'll allow him. He'll go out and be a first ballot Hall of Famer. He'll come in as a Mariner, and then I don't know if we'll ever hear from him again yeah. <laughs> other than when we argue if he's the greatest hitter of all time. Yeah, and my final thoughts on this are if you went up to me and asked me, who do you think or what do you think is uh, entails the great being the greatest hitter of all time? I would tell you whoever was a great hitter contact-wise, a great hitter power-wise. So I just look at whoever's better all around as a whole rather than just one side of the ball. Now, don't get me wrong. His first 10 seasons of his career, he hit over 300. That is absolutely insane. Um, he led the league in hits seven times. And but the stat that stands out to me, and I know we didn't ask him to be the power hitter, and he never wanted to be the power hitter. Now, even if he wanted to be, he could have. But the thing that sticks out to me is he has never had a season with seventy or more RBIs. He's never hit seventy RBIs, and to the to me that sticks out so much that it's like there's no way you can be the greatest hitter of all time if you've never had a season that you hit seventy or more RBIs. Yeah, so it seems clear to me, like, you're more of, like, a guy who's going to say Albert Pujols is the best hitter of all time. 3,000 hit club, just joined it. You were 600, at that game. yeah. And 600, 600, 600 home, home yeah. runs, which, and that's fair to you. Um, but when we look at it, too, yeah, he never had any seasons with more than 70 RBIs, but what team did he play on when he would have had those chances? He was a leadoff batter, and he was playing on a Seattle Mariners team that had, like, Yasiel Betancourt as yeah. your nine-hitter. That dude didn't get on base if they hit him with the ball in the box. So I think the RBI totals are less of him and more of who he played with. If he's on those 2000 Yankee teams, Red Sox teams, I think we're talking about him in a different category as well because he's probably going to get close to 70 to 80 RBIs because the guys in the back of their lineup could could find a way to get on base. And the Seattle Mariners just couldn't do that at that time. So I don't think that's something that's his fault. And when we talk about it in football, we talk a lot about control what you can control. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what Ichiro did. He controlled what he could control. When he when they needed him to get an RBI, he found a way to get an RBI. When they needed him to get on base, he always found a way to get on base until the very end of his career. So he controlled what he could control, and to me, what he controlled made him the best hitter of all time. All right, that is going to wrap up our talks about Ichiro Suzuki. Thank you to a Mariners legend right there. Coming up right after this break, though, we are going to be bringing in a special guest for the first time ever on Sunday Sports Central. I have someone coming in, and his name is Mad Fan. So don't go anywhere. You are not going to want to miss this. We'll be back in a couple minutes here on Sunday Sports Central. We'll be right back with more Sunday Sports Central. (music) 
and we're back with more Sunday Sports Central. Welcome back to Sunday Sports Central. I'm your host, Austin Lane. we got about 20 minutes left here in the studio. If you missed any of this week's episode of Sunday Sports Central, go back and listen to it on our SoundCloud. That's 88.1theberg, and we will be tweeting that on the tweeter sphere. Uh, at, that's a, at 81, excuse me, at 88.1theberg, and then we'll be posting it on Facebook, 88.1theberg, KCW. I'm in such a rush right now because I am happy to announce that for the first time ever on Sunday Sports Central right now, I'm bringing in a special guest, and his name is Mad Fan. I'm going to be asking you a specific question. Mad Fan, something has been, uh, you've been lingering around in the studio all week, grumbling and griping about one thing. It's never, it's never all right with you. You know, it's never just good enough for you. It's something that has always got to be wrong. But I want to talk to you about marriages in sporting events. You know, when they get down and they propose, I feel like the kiss cam is a good opportunity to get a little smooch in with your girlfriend at sporting events and then, you know, propose right in front of everyone. It's a happy feeling and I enjoy it, but mad fan has something to gripe about. What is grinding your gears? Well, first off, Austin, it's your third show and you finally let me on. Come on, man. It's just, it's just atrocious, man. I'm sorry. This is, this is embarrassing and I'm just really upset. Yeah. So get this people at home. If you don't know. I'll go into the atrocity that happened this weekend at the PGA Golf Tournament. Justin Thomas, a PGA golfer you've never heard of, I've never heard of, because he's not Tiger Woods, went out and helped this fan propose to his then-girlfriend, now-fiancé. And it just enraged me. I've never been so upset. How horrible can you be to go out and... Interrupt my golf time and propose to your girlfriend. Get a room. It's a, embarrassing. You know you know something that's important, Austin, in marriage? What? Sticking together. And guess what? 50% end in divorce. 50%. There, if I flip a coin and it's heads, they're going to be divorced tomorrow. Awful. Another stat I want to throw your way. You're a stats guy. I am. You're big stats guy, right? Yeah. 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 How long have we been on this show, Austin? About an hour and 42 minutes. Do you know how many divorces that is? That's darn near 200 divorces. There's 100 divorces an hour for you at home if you didn't know. And they have to throw this garbage on my TV screen and I have to act like I care. Boo. <laughs> Look, the number of marriages in the in the whole world right now. This is coming from cdc.gov, and it's a .gov, so you know it's true. 2,245,404 marriages right now in the world. Out of those 2.2 million marriages, you will have some of those be proposed during a sporting event, and I think sporting events are a perfect opportunity to propose to your loved one. Oh, my God. If I had the opportunity to propose to my girlfriend during a sporting event, I would definitely make sure and do it. I think a marriage game would be perfect for it I would and boo. the marriage rate is 6.9 per 1,000 total people that's six marriages per 1,000 that doesn't sound like a lot but when you add up all those 1,000s to get to the total number of the population that's a lot of marriages and so my thought is with all these marriages there has to be some that are being proposed at sporting events you can't be mad about it yes I can when I go out there I just want to enjoy a ball game and now I have to pretend like I care about the marriage between two people that I've never seen before while the man gets on one knee 
with a hot dog in one hand and a wedding ring in the other with a wife that's got popcorn in her hair running down her shirt sweating or spilling a adult beverage yeah seems romantic to me let's have 20,000 people watch me get on one knee let's not forget sometimes people say no how embarrassing is that for everyone to see you say no and you talk about the kiss cams how many times have you gone on there and the kiss cam and it's been brother and sister and it's just <laughs> awkward for everyone in the studio. Everyone that's there watching, it's just awkward. No one wants to see that. This isn't Alabama. We don't want any of that. No cousin love in here. I'm just saying, now I now I have to pretend like I care. I have to clap for you and applaud for your marriage. It's going to end three years down the road. No thanks. I just want to get back to watching grown men physically assault each other on the football field or baseball players try and take a wood bat to a tiny ball. It's just embarrassing. This is why our country is going down. Again, this is Sports Central. I'm your host, Austin Lane. Joining me is Mad Fan. Now, Mad Fan, I know you're a big hockey guy. There's three periods in hockey, which means there's two half times. Now, you could get mad about that probably on another day, but... Those two half times are what twenty minutes each. What are you gonna fill the time with? You gotta fill it with something to keep the crowd entertained. These proposals sometimes they make a difference. Sometimes people go home after a hockey game and say, "Wow, that was a great hockey game." But you know what is even cooler? I watched a guy propose to his girlfriend at the hockey game on the big board. Very cool moment. And sometimes it's the difference in the game. Sometimes a hockey game is like three to two and you're just sleeping by the time it's over but then you wake up and you see the big board and someone's getting proposed to you're like oh wow that's amazing you know what i see when i see that i see an animal getting trapped that's a man who's now trapped in a relationship and can't get out you know what those two periods are for going to the bathroom getting an ice cream cone exactly and so the people that are still in their seats need something they need to wait for the line to die down in the bathroom oh it's embarrassing. I don't get it. I never will. And if I'm with a girl, don't ever expect me to propose to you at a sporting event. In fact, don't expect me to bring you along because you'll just bore me while I'm trying to talk, unless it's baseball. The kiss cam is an entertaining aspect brought to the NBA, the NHL, and now we're seeing it more and more in the MLB and probably the NFL. I haven't been to a Seahawks game in I don't know how many years, but they're probably bringing the kiss cam over there because, I mean, you never know what sport it's going to be at. But I kind of feel your gripe with the golf. I, w- I wouldn't want to tune into the golf to watch a proposal. But you're you're getting on every sport. It makes no sense to me. Every single sport. Because I don't I don't care. I barely care about people I know and their marriages. I don't care about some random person's marriage. And then when I look at it, too, at the end of the day... Golf takes long enough as it is. I bet there was a foursome behind Justin Tom- Thomas. Furious. They just want to hit the little white ball. Try and make it go into the hole. I just don't get it, Austin. It just seems trashy to me. I don't. I wouldn't enjoy it. When I watch people go and get married at sporting events, I just go, ah, they must really need attention. Look, here's, a, here's another big thing I want to bring up. Proposing to your girlfriend is a once in a lifetime for some guys, two or three times in a lifetime. Yeah, two or three thing. thing. Okay, okay. Still, even if they do it three times, to- three to five times in their lifetime, 
It's still a special moment to them. You are getting mad for someone else enjoying something in their life that they will, most people will never do again. You're getting mad at someone. Half of the people will never do again. For <laughs> you're getting mad at someone for doing something that is supposed to be special. They're supposed to feel good about themselves. If marriage proposals weren't as special, everyone would just do them at home. People go out of their way to go to sporting events to propose to people. And this is why. Because sports are important to people. Sports are so important to me. If I got the opportunity to propose at a Mariners game, I would definitely do it. Because the Mariners are so important and my girlfriend's so important. So you're taking together two things that are super important in someone's life. And you're putting them together. And it's a great decision to put those two together. Because you're mad because they might get divorced one day? You're saying half the people get divorced? Well, I'm saying probably more than half stay together because they the guy proposed at a sports sporting event. First off, you're a stats guy. There's no numbers to back that up. You have no numbers. So I don't believe you. But let's just let's just be real. Nothing says romantic like a three to one baseball game in the fifth inning at Safeco as you propose in the hot in July with a spilled beer down your shirt. No one. That's that's just romantic. I don't know about you, but I know the ladies love that. Oh, you're oh MLB TV or whatever. You're <laughs> pulling out stats here. I don't believe them. I you think they're believe- inflated. No, these are these are good, these are good stats, man. Go ahead, re- read them off. You want me to read them off? Yes, I these, would. These kind of help your argument. I would. Here. I I have I have some stuff blocking microphones and such. Now these stats aren't. These stats aren't specifically for people who propose at sporting events. I want to get that out of the way. Disclaimer. This is not for people that propose at sporting events. My argument here is that people that propose at sporting events are doing it because it's a special moment in their life, and they want to do it at a sporting event because probably that sports team means something to them. That's how I would do it. Um, but here's some stats to back you up. I mean, I'm the stats guy, so I'm going to kind of kind of jump on board with the overall marriage thing. Now, it has nothing to do with sports, but... The probability that a first marriage will survive 10 years is 6.6%, 1 in 15 chance. And the probability that a first marriage survives if there was no birth during marriage is 3.7% or 1 in 27. So we need to bring up this topic. You are talking about marriages in general. I'm talking about proposing at sporting events. Let's get back on topic. Proposing in sporting events is something special. Why are you so mad? I understand for golf. But if you go to an NBA game and it's halftime and nobody's doing anything and the cheerleaders are out there doing absolutely nothing but, you know, they're doing their dance routine, you need something to be entertained by. You need something to keep you focused on the game, you know. I'm looking up at the big board. I'm seeing someone uh, propose to their girlfriend, and I'm like, wow, this guy knows what he's doing. That's not at all what I think. That's a man who just didn't have anywhere else better to do it. I, I personally do not agree with it. Maybe it's because... I am a college student, and marriage is not in my plans for the very near future, but I just don't agree with it, and I think it needs to be taken out, and I think people really need to check themselves, because if they find the fifth inning of a Mariners game with a chili cheese dog in their hand, romantic, they have some issues. All right, thank you thank you for coming on, Mad Fan. We'll be coming right back here in a couple minutes for the final word here on Sunday Sports Central, so don't go anywhere. You're listening to Sunday Sports Central on 88.1 The Berg. We'll be right back with more Sunday Sports Central.
back with more Sunday Sports Central. Welcome back to Sunday Sports Central here on 88.1 The Berg. If you missed any of the show today, we're about to wrap it up. You can check it out on our SoundCloud later this week, 88.1 The Berg, and we will be tweeting it out. That's at 88.1 The Berg on Twitter, and we will be posting on Facebook, 88.1 The Berg, KCW. But right now, we got about six minutes left here on the show. I want to go over our final word. I'm your host, Austin Lane, and I was joined today by Will Ortner, Jordan Riley Payne, and Miles King. But let me get in my final word for today, my final thoughts. I want to talk about LeBron James. LeBron James went into the series against the Toronto Raptors with a rec league for a team in the Cleveland Cavaliers. I said that this team was worse than the team he played on in the late 2000s, the Cavaliers team that could not win the finals. The reason he went to the Miami Heat. LeBron James came back to the Cleveland Cavaliers to get more rings, but also to bring a ring to Cleveland. He did it in 2016. Last season, he couldn't quite pull it together against the Warriors. The Warriors were just too good. But this season, he came into the playoffs with a crap uh, crap for a team. That's that's all I'm going to say. It was, just, it was just a crappy team. He, he, he told me that this Cavaliers team told me that there's no way they're going to the Eastern Conference Finals. There's no way they're taking out the number one seed, Toronto Raptors. And going into this series, I had no idea what LeBron James was going to do as a player to try and get out of this sticky situation he was in. Since then, I have realized that LeBron James is the greatest player of all time. LeBron James is better than Michael Jordan because the teams that Michael Jordan had to play against were just as bad as the Cleveland Cavaliers team he is on right now. And to be able to go onto as bad of a team and make this big of a difference and lead the team into a 3-0 series lead and more than likely, barring a miracle, go to the Eastern Conference Finals against more than likely the Boston Celtics is something worth noting. LeBron James is the greatest of all time because he took nothing and turned it into something. That's my final word. I'm bringing on special guests now in the studio, production coordinator Van Berryman for his final word. Van, what do you have for me? So I say this a lot about a lot of sports. There's a difference between being a fan of a team and being a fan of a sport. There's such a thing as a Seahawks fan, and there's such a thing as a football fan. I am a San Jose Sharks fan. I'm not really a hockey fan. I just started watching this year, but I've been keeping an eye on my San Jose Sharks. The parents are from down in the Bay Area, so i got to rep the squad. They cleaned house on the Ducks in the first round of the Stanley Cup playoffs, and now they're hurting a little bit against the Vegas Golden Knights. So this isn't really an opinion piece. This is just me calling out. To all you San Jose Shark players that I'm sure are listening in to our sports show here in Ellensburg, Washington. I need you guys to pull out the win tonight. You're down 3-2 right now. Get that last win. Force a game seven. Go to the Stanley Cup playoffs. Bring that trophy home, baby. All right. And for the final word on the day, I'm bringing on my co-host of the day, Will Ortner. Will, what do you got for me? Yeah, so um, I'm just going to take it a little sideways um, and go a little way from sports. This was a rough weekend for everyone who went to Hawkinson High School. And uh, we lost a brother, and we lost a very good man. And I just want to offer my condolences to his family. And I want to offer my condolences to anyone affected by this. Uh, I grew up with Jared. He was a great friend of mine. Um, and I know he's in a better place right now. And if, there, if you or any loved ones have any issues, please uh, go to one of the many suicide prevention help uh, websites and just know that you're loved and we all care about you deeply and uh to jared i I'm, i miss you brother and i can't wait to meet you again man 
Thank you, Will. That will wrap up this week's Sunday Sports Central. You can catch us same place, same time next week, next Sunday morning from 9 to 11 on 88.1 The Berg. But thank you guys for listening. This has been Sunday Sports Central on 88.1 The Berg. Have a wonderful Sunday, everybody.